Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host, and y'all, I'm just going to be real with you. I literally have three canker sores in my mouth right now, <laughs> and it hurts to talk. So if I start talking weird, especially as this episode goes on, that is why. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. In this podcast, we talk about five main topics, marriage, money, mindset, health, and faith. And the goal is generational change meaning we're just working on becoming 1% better every single day in one or more of those areas so that we can heal as mothers. And ultimately, that is going to lead to an overflow that our children are actually going to see. And I believe it's how we stand strong in our purpose as mothers. It is not just about, you know, teaching them to do better than us or asking them like doing, saying the whole, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. It's about taking the time and energy to work on ourselves, and I genuinely believe that that is automatically going to lead to lifestyle changes and conversations that will be just so much more impactful for our babies. You know, we all want our ceiling to be our children's floor, and this is how and where we start with the small, seemingly insignificant, positive choices, conversations, and thought patterns that we choose to be a part of daily. Okay, so let's go ahead and hop into this episode. So today we are going to chat about marriage and money. And as I've said a million times, finances, you guys touch freaking everything. They touch our marriage, our relationships, our experiences as a family. And I could go on, right? Our friendships, like it doesn't matter. And because it touches everything and it is so interconnected with just about everything we do, it becomes this common thing that people argue about, especially in marriage, right? And financial issues are actually one of the leading causes of divorce. It was number two. I believe it's number three at the time of this recording, um, but whatever. It's up there, okay? So I actually got kind of curious about what exactly that means. I mean, listen, Justin and I, have we fought about finances? Yes. But obviously our, our story and situation is different and people fight about different things. We've struggled with things other people don't. So I got curious about what exactly that means. Like why are people legitimately getting divorced over financial issues? Like what exactly are the arguments about money that are happening? And I found on Business Insider actually, an article that talked about the top 12 main reasons that couples argue about money. And so I decided for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about each of those reasons. And then I'm going to talk through some ways to help navigate these issues. If you see these coming up or if they're already fully blown in your marriage, okay? I'm going to go through four reasons each week. And so this will be kind of a three-part series, on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe wherever you are listening so you don't miss the next two episodes. Also, you can find me on Instagram at Legacy Through Motherhood where I'll be talking about some of these topics this week. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Okay, so I want to lay a little groundwork and give you a little homework to do <laughs> if you are new-ish here for after you listen to this episode or honestly, if you just want to pause this right now and do it, that's cool too. But episode 19 of this podcast is an episode called Our Journey to Financial Freedom. And it tells our story of being together as a 16-year-old. I was 16. He was 19 when we first got together. It's been over 15 years now. Um, but, you know, then being married for over 10 years. And it just gives you an insight into how and what we did to go from having a negative net worth, 
(laughs) and being in a lot of debt to becoming debt-free and having over a half a million in net worth in about a four-year span. All right, so we were a mess and then we got it together. That is basically what that episode is. It is episode 19 and everything I'm getting ready to talk about just now and through the episode will be in the show notes. And then the second thing is episode three in this podcast. It's called Honesty in Your Finances. And this talks about six different levels you can find yourself in financially. There is struggling, which is the lowest, surviving, stable, security, surplus, and then significance, okay? There are key indicators in your you know, financial life that can really tell you and show you where you fall within those six levels. But this episode, episode three, it also gives you resources to look into depending on whatever stage you find yourself in. So it's also a super practical and helpful episode. And I also have a blog, you guys, that talks through these Um, these six different levels. If you'd rather just like skim it and read it, then like listen to me talk (laughs) in another episode. And it has all of the resources in there for you also. Anyways, that is a good kind of jumping off point to get to know me and to kind of get to know your finances, kind of where you stand before we even hop into this episode. So let's jump into the first four reasons that couples fight about money. I'm going to list them and then we're going to go through them. Number one is opposing attitudes towards money. Number two, mismatched financial priorities. Number three, credit card debt. And number four, financial infidelity. Now remember there's 12. So we'll go over the next four next week and then we'll go over the last four in two weeks. So let's chat about what each of these look like and then we can kind of brainstorm a solution or, you know, not an easy fix, but something that we can begin to do to course correct or have a more cordial approach to each other when it comes to money. And if we talk about something today that you have struggled with or do struggle with, I would love to hear from you. You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts and what helped you, what didn't help you when it came to your relationship. Just shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at simsarrows, S-I-M-S, arrows, at gmail.com. Okay. So number one, opposing attitudes towards money. To me, this screams money mindset. One person may be seeing money as a tool to like have fun with or to give with or to buy nice things with. And another person may view it as security and something to save and not use. And one person could have an abundant mindset you know, around money where they always feel like there's enough, regardless of the dollar amounts. Those people that are like, I can make a million dollars and be happy. I could live on $5 and be happy because I'm good eating ramen and whatever, right? Like there's this mindset of abundance. And spending makes these people feel and experience life to the absolute fullest. And someone else might be living in a scarcity mindset where there's never enough, right? And having money and saving isn't just a way of life. It's their entire sense of security. And it is all wrapped up in money. And all of this stems from our childhood experiences with money. The subconscious views that we have around money and, you know, could be stemming from possible money trauma. One or both of us have experienced, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, you could have 
money trauma and grow up and like completely pivot and do something different and now it's like you always have enough and whatever you could experience money trauma and it and you know you just have that scarcity mindset where there's never enough the interesting thing about people and personalities you could literally think about siblings that are in the same household right um you could have two siblings experience the same type of childhood so to speak financially let's just throw in finances we're talking there and grow up with two totally different views on finances and the two totally different um, perspectives and mindsets around finances. Because the truth is, is that we're our, our own people. <laughs> we experience life from our own selves. And so we all take whatever we learned in childhood or experiences that we had in childhood differently. Okay. So for example, if you had one spouse that grew up with money and always felt like they had enough and money was openly talked about, then they are going to view the role of money probably drastically differently than someone who grew up with, you know, possibly skipping meals, listening to their parents fight all the time about money or being told no for even minor wants because, you know, we don't have enough money and whatever else. So you can imagine that these two people as adults in relationships could butt heads when it comes to the role money plays in their life. And neither person is wrong, right? Because of what I just said, because their thoughts and beliefs about money were formed long before they even knew it was happening. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't impact our relationship because again, money touches absolutely everything. So what to do? Okay, so first off, you have to understand that money mindset is a thing. If one or both of you don't understand or think that money mindset is playing a role here, then I would lovingly say that not much is probably going to be fixed. All right. So number one, welcome to learning that money mindset is a thing. I mean, who freaking knew, right? Who freaking knew? I did not. I had no idea it was even a thing a little over four years ago until I like got smacked in the face with it and we were starting to get out of debt. So number one, you got to understand that money mindset is a thing. You both do. And number two is to learn what your money mindset is. Okay, so number one, it's even a thing. Number two, what is yours? And where does it stem from? And if you don't know, I have a money mindset course called Entrusted with Her Finances. And it is a self-paced five-module, 25-lesson audio course. And it walks you through finding out what your money story is. It talks through working through life in debt and why we actually like to be in debt. Um, I know that sounds like ridiculous, but we do. There's a comfort there. And it's kind of like, um, you know, we don't like to be unhealthy, whether it be, you know, weight wise or just, you know, even if you don't struggle with weight, you still might have zero energy. Um, We don't like that. Just like we don't like debt. But we also find a comfort in being able to eat whatever the heck we want in our chips and queso and our Coke. We find comfort in that. So even though we don't like to be unhealthy, we find comfort there. Even though we don't like to be in debt, we find comfort in being able to spend and get what we want when we want it, right? And so we talk through all of that. We talk through figuring out what you owe your children financially, learning about passive income and what it is and how to create it, and then ultimately building wealth. So it kind of covers the entire gamut. And it is all focused on understanding your money mindset. 
And there's actually an 80-page journal to go along with this course. And I will put the link to this in the show notes. Or you can just go to simsarrows, S-I-M-S-arrows.com slash yes for more information on that. But a quick exercise that you can do when you get done listening to this is just to take a piece of paper. Okay, just like rip it out of a 99-cent notebook. Take a piece of paper and quickly segment your life into five-year increments. Okay, so zero to five years old, five to 10, 10 to 15, so on and so forth. If you're 50, go all the way up, okay? Um, And then under each section, I want you just to sit down for like, I don't know, 15 minutes and brain dump. I want you to think about what experiences or memories you have that have to do with money, good or bad or neutral, it doesn't matter, and just list them. And some of these memories are going to be easy and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I remember on my 11th birthday (laughs) or I remember one Christmas when or you know what I mean? Like whatever it might be, some are going to be really forefront in your mind. Our minds are just kind of funny like that. But then other memories are a little deeper down and we really, really, really have to think. So my advice for this exercise is really to sit down, like I said, 15 minutes and write as much as you can remember and each of those different segments of your life. And then just keep that paper either in your journal, on a desk, like folded up in your purse, whatever. And for the next few days, just be consciously thinking about what memories you had around money. And more likely than not, some things are going to pop up as you're driving or you know having a conversation with your mom or your dad or your sister or just sitting in the morning and drinking a coffee. And you'd be like, oh, I remember actually this happened. Grab your piece of paper, write it down. Now, this is just a starting place. And it's, it's honestly really a good conversation starter, especially if your spouse does the same exercise. That's even better. But it's a good conversation starter to just be able to sit down with each other and go over different experiences and memories that you've had with money, right? This will more likely than not begin to show some different experiences, right? That have led to you and your spouse feeling and thinking differently about money. Remember when I said just a little bit ago, when like one spouse may have like always had enough and, um, you know, got everything they wanted and, you know, whatever, was never told no. (laughs) And the other spouse was like, I never was told yes. I skipped meals because, or I had, you know, cereal for for dinner more nights than not. And it wasn't because it was like, my mom was like, whatever, you know, listen, I, I give my kids cereals for dinner every once in a while. But like, it wasn't because of that. It was because like, we had to stretch this bowl of cereal four ways because that's all we had. That is a different feeling. And once, you know, you start to have those conversations and you start to see the different experiences that you guys had. There's just a lot more that you are going to be able to work through here. And I guarantee, you know, once you sit down and you start to do this and you start to have these conversations, then they all of a sudden, it's funny, it just starts to flow. (laughs) And this is why I strongly, strongly encourage you and really anyone to invest in that course, Entrusted with Her Finances. And I'm just doing a shameless plug here (laughs) because it just, it is so aligned with this, having different, you know, um, experiences and thought patterns on money. If you don't know where you come from, you're you're not going to be able to move forward. And so, you know, 
in that course, I really walk you through different paths to go down. But once you guys start to gain a better understanding of where each other are coming from, sometimes that annoyance with each other can turn into compassion for one another and just a deeper level of understanding and communication in your marriage. And that is what I want for you. So the second thing people fight about in marriage about money is mismatched priorities. Mismatched priorities. So let's say one person really, really values travel and experiences and another values a large savings (laughs) and investing their money. This can cause a clear issue because when you get married, you combine two lives. And you can't invest all your extra money (laughs) if you're spending it on a ski trip to, you know, Colorado and a vacation in the sun in Hawaii or going to see the Eiffel Tower in Paris. So I think the first thing to mention here is this is a really good conversation that you need to have as a dating couple. Like, what do your dreams look like? And listen, did you listen? Did you marry a travel junkie? people (laughs) because marriage isn't going to necessarily be the place to do like a bait and switch and say hey I know you love to see the world and travel the world but no more traveling now that we're married right we can't we can't really do that but with that said number one people change over time and that's okay and number two Sometimes our financial situation does not warrant Valentine's Day under the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) So we are faced with two different realities. Number one, like I said, humans evolve and we are allowed to change our priorities over time and in different seasons. Like I am a different person than I was at 16 or 19, 21, 25, 30. (laughs) And number two, we don't stay, you know, this single nomad college student forever where we can live on ramen noodles and sleep on a park bench just to experience the world. Like when jobs and children and financial reality set in, we have to be aware that when we started down this road of combining two lives and starting a family, some sacrifices would have to be made. And so what the heck do we do? (laughs) First off, honor one another's bucket lists or priorities. Like have you discussed what your priorities are? Or why you want them in the last, I don't know, five years? Have you said to your husband or wife, like, listen, I love to travel. I always have. And you know this. You knew this when we got married. And listen, we haven't been on a a vacation in three years. Like, can we plan to set some money aside for some kind of getaway? And listen, again, it may not be a getaway to someplace spectacular, but instead, maybe someplace unique you know, with a person that you love. And if you are someone who wants to just save and pay off debt, is your spouse fully aware of your financial situation? And I don't mean like, well, they should know. (laughs) Like clearly we're in debt and we don't have the money to travel a ton and he keeps freaking asking to go to, you know, some ski trip or whatever. I mean, have you sat shoulder to shoulder with your person and looked at your numbers together. Because listen, our brains have a way of minimizing things that are stressful to kind of quote unquote save us. So he or she may know that you guys are in debt or whatever, but they just may not realize just how much you are in debt. And a quick look 
at numbers can be really freaking sobering, right? (laughs) Or honestly, it could be encouraging to see that, hey, you know what? You actually do have some wiggle room for a three-day getaway to a romantic cabin somewhere kid-free. But if you know that you're finance, that you are in debt, you don't have any margin, um, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and your spouse keeps asking to go on these trips because they know you guys are in debt, but they don't really, really know. Well, of course, that's going to cause tension because you're like, why are you asking? Are you that clueless? And they're like, I just want to go on vacation. Apparently, I am that clueless. And they don't even know. Okay, so you both have to know your numbers and get on the same page. And that doesn't mean either of you, quote unquote, win. But both of you kind of move towards each other and figure out how to make both of your hopes and dreams fit within your you know, financial circumstance. You may have to get creative, <laughs> but you can do it, okay? So number one, communicate your priorities to your spouse. And if you haven't in the last even year, two years, three years, five years, communicate them again because like I said, people change. Number two, look at your numbers together. Look at your numbers together. Number three, figure out a plan that works within the parameters of your income to help kind of appease both of you. And hey, listen, over a fun drink might even make that (laughs) a little bit better. Okay, so that is what we do when you guys feel like you have mismatched priorities. All right, number three, the thing people fight about with money in marriage is credit card debt. Credit card debt. All right. This could be credit card debt brought into a marriage that maybe wasn't fully (laughs) talked about or credit card debt built up within marriage. And when I saw this on the list, all I could think about was that credit card debt is the freaking worst. And why? (laughs) Because it is like this flashing neon light of all the things you bought and didn't need. And now you have to pay for it later both emotionally and physically. I mean, yes, you guys, we can have physical reactions to financial stress. Think about like, um, you know, not being able to sleep at night. You know, if you get a phone call from like a credit card agency wanting you to pay their bills because it's late, like that that sinking feeling just, and you know how it is, financial stuff. It's just, like I said, freaking touches everything. So you're o- it's always on your mind, even if it isn't in the forefront. But it can affect you mentally, relationally, And especially, especially if one person is more of the, you know, culprit, it could really lead to some issues. But either way, from someone who had thousands of dollars on credit cards, y'all, I'm raising my hand here, before we got, you know, serious about becoming debt free, y'all, it was literally filled with just a bunch of stupid crap, (laughs) like lots of Starbucks you know, $15 McDonald's or Chipotle charges or $60 dinners out, hundreds of dollars from Target, gas, DoorDash, Amazon. I mean, somehow all of these $5 to $20 expenses added up to like $8,000 in credit card expenses. I mean, what the heck? And credit cards are the worst because it's how we nickel and dime ourselves to death and into debt. It's so freaking easy. It is instant gratification. And the stress and worry is kind of put aside for 30 days, at least. And the minimum payment due is like 75 bucks on a $5,000 credit card payment. But the fact is, is that all of those little expenses can add up. And then it hits you like a freight train. 
when we look at our statement. I mean, I genuinely have sat on more than one occasion, you guys, and said, wait, what? <laughs> there, there is no way that this is how much I spent this much on our credit card or whatever else, you know? Like, there is no way this is how much our credit card balance is. Like, I remember years ago sitting and looking. I mean, I was completely dumbfounded. And as I start kind of scanning down the, you know, itemized statement, and I see the Target and the Starbucks and the Applebee's and the Target and the Kroger and the Red Robin and the Amazon Target, McDonald's, <laughs> like, it's like you're instantly sober because you're like, dang, yes, I did do all of that. Like, we just blacked out or something. I don't freaking know. But I genuinely believe that's kind of how it is. Like, when you struggle with addiction, with alcohol, you just have a drink and then two and then just one more and then just one more. And then all of a sudden you wake up blacked out wondering, like, what the heck just happened? The problem is that we lose self-control after a certain point and it's no different, you guys, with spending freely without, quote unquote, consequence by using a credit card. So what to do? What do we do? First off, you have to understand what addiction is. Most of us think of addiction kind of under the lens of alcohol or drugs or food. But what do we use the alcohol or drugs or food to do? To cope. To cope with the life that we have, the stress that we are under, or things that we want to avoid, like tons of reasons that people turn to that kind of stuff. So stories matter here. Your story matters. Your marriage story matters. Your career story, your motherhood story, your mental state story, it all matters. So grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, y'all, for you here and for one another. So once we kind of put down our weapons, take our armor off, and we remember that both you and your spouse are human, then we can start to talk about an issue through the lens of compassion. Through this mutual respect of, hey, (laughs) we clearly have an issue here. You know, I don't feel like I spent that much. I mean, listen, this is probably an exact conversation I've had with Justin. I don't feel like I spent that amount. Or I could ask him, I mean, did you feel like you just spent $300? Because it happened. Like the numbers don't lie. And I mean, it's a clear indicator that we are spending way more than we think we are. So I really feel like we need to put some accountability in place and just take back control of what we are spending. Because listen, I really want to be able to go do X, I don't know, a vacation, you know, stay at home after we have our next baby, be debt free or whatever your goals are. And at this point, the biggest thing you need to do is commit to respecting that your income has limits. I say this a million and 19 times to my budget (laughs) clients. Your income has limits and we have to respect that and we have to stay within those boundaries as a household. You cannot get out of debt living on 110% of your income. So we have to ratchet it back. Then you both together begin to decide on how intense you want to be, you know, to start paying that credit card off and to not spend more on it. 
Communication again is key here. So we are knowing numbers, both of us. We are verbalizing priorities of, you know, I don't know, like let's just say, hey, I don't want to actually spend $8,000, Justin, on Starbucks and fast food and Amazon and Target because I want to go on an all-inclusive trip to Mexico for our 10-year wedding anniversary. Actually, that was last year for us. Um, not the paying off credit card. We've been out of debt for a while. But our 10-year wedding anniversary to go to Mexico was last summer of 2020 and COVID shut it down. And now we are pregnant with our fifth baby. So it's going to be 25 more years before we can ever get a vacation away. So anyways, but just making the time to recalibrate what you want in your finances and just to reflect, right? Justin and I sit down about every three months, give or take, to do a deep dive into our finances. Okay, so that is how we work through credit card debt. And the last thing for today that people argue about is financial infidelity. So this could look like a secret bank account where you have a part of your income going so that you can spend money on something inappropriately. And I say inappropriately, inappropriately, and I mean, it could literally be something inappropriate. I mean, it could, it happens, but really any secret money or hiding of money is inappropriate in a marriage. It just is. So you guys may be on a budget, let's say, and you know, are are, are like quote unquote, I'm saying that a lot today, sorry, sacrificing. But then one of you has a secret account on the side where you have a couple hundred dollars a month going into so that you can just spend freely and not feel that weight of saying no to yourself. Like, that's not cool. (laughs) Could obviously lead to an argument. This also could look like hiding credit cards and credit card statements. I mean, some people find out after a couple years that like spouses have racked up $80,000 in debt across multiple credit cards and they have no idea. It can look like hidden purchases or hiding receipts or credit card statements, especially if you handle the bills or the mail. Like if you are the one that kind of intercepts the mail or handles all of the billing, it's very easy for you to make a $100 purchase and have your partner never see the statement or for you to get a credit card, something in the mail and for you to rip it up before they ever see it, right? There's ways to do this. And so it also could look like, which is probably one of the most common, it could look like lying about the price of something that you bought. So let's just say you splurged and bought a pair of $120 shoes and your spouse is like, what, did you just get new shoes? Seriously? Do you really feel like you need those? And you're like, oh, they were on sale for $40 when they really weren't. (laughs) But you kind of hid the receipt and he doesn't really touch the statements for this credit card. So he'll like really never know financial infidelity. So typically this can happen, you know, when only one spouse, kind of like what I'm saying, has a pulse on the finances and the other the other one does not. This is why I personally don't think it's a good idea to have a separate bank account when you are married. And I know, I know, I know. There are so many freaking different opinions on that. So I'm not going to argue that for now, but I think that in marriage there's so much that could be tempting to hide for whatever reason. And listen, It's not, most of us don't have $80,000 in credit cards, you know, that we're trying to hide from our spouse. Typically, it is a hidden receipt. It is a hidden purchase. It is something that is small. But I think that sharing a bank account just takes your accountability up a notch. Also, 
Like I was saying, both of you need to know what is going on financially. I always tell my budget clients, one of you need to be driving the ship, but you both need to be in the daggone boat. I am, for us, I am the primary driver in our finances. I pay the bills. I keep tabs on all the balances and due dates, and I, just, I know all the things regarding our finances. I am in our finances week in and week out. My husband is not, but he is in the boat. <laughs> we sit down every three months-ish. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's not. And look over our numbers. We set new goals. We see kind of where we fell short or what we did great. And then we set new goals together for the next 90 days. And he then he kind of sort of fades out and I execute the plan. But we still talk. I still bounce ideas off of him or tell him any, you know, pertinent information. But for the most part, this works great for us. And I encourage my budget clients to do the same. And when two people are in the boat, and listen, I've been here. Good Lord, have we been here. When two people are in the boat, because you have to be, you're married, but no one is driving, that's when we get those $8,000 credit card bills that are filled up with stupid crap. (laughs) And when you have two people driving, things can get confusing and things could get double paid or maybe looked over because you thought they were going to pay it. They thought you were going to pay it. Too many cooks in the kitchen. But you do need good communication. And the driving person really needs to feel confident to be able to ask for help when needed. And the other person that's kind of chilling in the boat (laughs) needs to be able to hop up when needed and enter into a financial conversation and make a decision and an informed decision, right? Like you can't just not be in your finances for three years and then have the person who's driving the financial boat, (laughs) I'm just going to go with that analogy, all of a sudden ask you a question like, hey, I don't know, what should I do here? And you're like, I literally haven't even thought about our finances for three years because you've handled it. So I don't forget, I don't even know our passwords, right? Like that's not helpful. That is when I feel like I get a lot of those conversations or instant messages where women or men really, but I, I typically serve women. So typically it's a woman that talks to me and they feel like their husband is a child when it comes to their finances. And that's not okay for you or for him. It's not okay for you to look at your spouse like that. It's also not for him, okay for him to be in such a passive role that you he can't help you, right? So it takes two of you stepping up and figuring out what roles work best for you and you both getting in the boat and then figuring out who's driving it. And then the other person is kind of the navigator, right? It's like, you're good to go. You're driving until you need a little bit of help. All right. Okay. I'm going to be done with that analogy now. So number one, avoid the small lies. We're on financial infidelity. Number one, avoid the small lies in your finances, like lying about prices or hiding receipts because they can damage trust and ultimately could lead to bigger lies. Number two, also have a joint bank account to up-level kind of that transparency in your marriage. Number three, sit down together every 90-ish days to get a game plan going on. Number four, be open about bills and statements. If you are the driver Before you throw away statements or close out the window on your computer of, you know, your bank statements, ask your spouse if they want to see it. And so for me, it might practically look like this. Hey, just, I just finished the bills. All the statements are up on my computer or, you know, on the table. You have any desire to look at them or can I pitch them? Honestly, nine times out of 10, he's probably going to look at me like I'm crazy and be like, what? Just throw them away. I literally don't care. (laughs) You know, but if financial infidelity has been a thing, 
maybe it would be a yes. And that's okay. Remember in marriage, the goal is not that you can't ever have privacy. Privacy isn't the issue. Secrecy is. It's sort of like phone boundaries. I know the password on Justin's phone and he knows mine, but he's not like always searching my phone and I'm not always trying to search his phone or like asking him for it. But just knowing each other's passwords is there so that there is no secrecy, but we still respect each other's privacy. That makes sense? Okay, so there you have it. The first four reasons couple fight so much about money and marriage and some of my advice to overcome those challenges. I know, I know that is way easier said than done. You guys, it has been a journey for Justin and I to just figure out where we land on finances. We come from two different backgrounds. We come from, we're both very competitive. We're both firstborns, you know, we both, (laughs) whatever, I'm not going to get into it, but it's a journey, okay? And like I said at the very beginning, we are working to become 1% better. No one, zero people expect you to revamp your entire financial life overnight or your entire money mindset overnight. No one does. And the other thing is, is that I talk about a lot too, is that you and your spouse could be convicted at two different times to like really get out of debt or to really curb your spending or to really do X, Y, or Z financially. Okay. And so just because you're convicted doesn't necessarily mean your spouse has to do the same or vice versa. Your spouse might be very convicted to do X, Y, or Z. Doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be as convicted, but it does mean that we need to communicate more, right? And so we got to start somewhere. And typically that somewhere is knowing your numbers and then compassion and then communication. So guys, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss the next two episodes where we're going to continue to uncover the reasons money in marriage is difficult and take steps to just kind of ease that burden together. And I look forward to walking with you to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.